welcome back to More Creative. I'm your host, Ashley Wiley, and today we talk with Nate Cormier, an editor at Lucasfilm Animation. Throughout our conversation, Nate talks us through his surprising admission into film school and what he calls the many happy accidents that led him to work at DreamWorks Animation and then as an editor at Lucasfilm. He gives us some great insight into the world of editing a very well-known animated series and is brutally honest about his quick rise within the industry. It was a blast getting to talk with Nate about his story. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Nate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It was uh, it was cool when you reached out. I've never really done anything like this, but I don't know, piqued my interest. Yeah, I'm excited to get to know a little bit more about you and your career. So when you were younger, what did you think you wanted to do when you grew up? I actually honestly had no idea. I was kind of like uh, one of those floaters, you know, like mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, just had a lot of different groups of friends, like played sports, played music. I wasn't super serious about anything. And then for a long time, like literally when it came time to apply for colleges, I had no idea what I wanted to do. But um, me and my buddies had been playing around with cameras and stuff like that, doing just like, you know, dumb, stupid little home videos. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought that was fun. And I took some media classes in my high school And so uh, my parents were kind enough to offer to pay for college for me. And I brought up the idea of film school just because at the time that was what interested me. And my parents were like, that's a dead end. They're like, we'll pay for any state school. Or if you can get into a top five film school, we'll pay for that. But we're not paying for like, you know, some bottom of the barrel film program because that's not like stable. And to everyone's surprise, my most of all, I ended up getting into a college called Emerson, which was at the time number three in the country. Whoa. Yeah. Like, I mean, I did not have good grades. Like, I think I had like a 3.2 GPA. I had good SATs and I guess my reel must have been good, but it was kind of just like one of those teenage flukes. Like, what do you want to do? I don't know. I've been playing with this camera for six months. That seems okay. Yeah, you mentioned a reel. What do you have to have to apply for a film school? Bear in mind, this was 16 years ago. But at the time, it was uh, a short essay about any topic of your choosing. And they highly encouraged a reel. But back in 04, you know, not everyone had the access to equipment that we have now. So they encouraged a reel, but it wasn't necessary. But there was honestly very little structure to it. It was just like, send us what you think you've done that looks good. And so I um, I sent a couple like high school news pieces that I had done and I sent in like a short, that was literally like the only thing I had that wasn't me and my friends like making fart jokes. So that's what I sent. So you went in to get your degree in post-production, is that right? Yeah, fun fact. I uh, was actually the first person to walk ever for post-production at Emerson because um, it was like a brand new program. Mm. Back in the day, most film schools only offered generalized film degrees. You know, there might be like a writing section too, but usually it was just a film degree. Mm-hmm. And in the early 2000s, a lot of schools started branching out more and allowing you to specialize. So my graduating class uh, which was 09, was the first class that had enough credit hours available to them to actually get the specialized degrees. 
and my last name starting with a C, Cormier, like literally just alphabetically, I was the first person to walk and be able to get a post degree from there. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, so it's like my little feather in the cap. So when you graduated, what were you looking to do? I grew up in a town called Lemonster, just about 40 minutes west of Boston, which even now, but especially back then, has a non-existent to tiny film scene. I didn't really think too much about what I was going to do. Like in my head, if I could be like a coffee runner for like PBS, which was based in Boston or, or even like my local Lemonster access television, like if I could get enough money for renting some beers, I would have called it a success. But I went to LA, you know, a lot of my classmates, probably like 50% of the graduating class moves to LA from film schools. And it just so happened that my two roommates uh, slash best friends were LA natives. So I kind of moved out with them and they let me crash on their parents' couches and stuff and kind of got my, my feet under me. And then through a prior classmate, they got me an internship with uh, DreamWorks Animation. Oh. Yeah. So it, I'm sorry if it kind of sounds bullshit or whatever, you know, it's just like a lot of happy accidents. Like, yeah. Until I got that first internship at DreamWorks, I was not this particularly driven person with this plan and a roadmap and... and concrete goals be, besides you know feeding myself but then once I got in, once I got into DreamWorks it's a wonder I'm not obese but uh, once I got into DreamWorks I uh, you know then I was like oh wow like this is real I'm in a real place like this is this is no joke maybe I can do this so I, I really honestly didn't buckle down until I was like 22 probably so I've fudged my timeline a little here it's okay yeah, that internship, I had actually taken a uh, leave of absence from my last semester at Emerson because I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And you could take a leave of absence there, no questions asked, uh, for up to up to two years. Um, so, you know, they you halt all payments, you halt all credits, but you don't need to reapply. You just say, I'm coming back next semester. And so I did that to, to go explore L.A. because my roommates graduated before me and they had off, they'd offered me to go to L.A. with them. And so I was like, you know. I was like, I have no idea what the hell I want to do. Let's, this offer's on the table. Let's do this. So that internship at DreamWorks ended and they had offered me employment, but then they realized I didn't have my degree. And wow. Yeah. The the degree is not like necessary to be there, but um, they tried to give me credit for the internship. And then when they realized I didn't have my degree, they were like, how much do you have left on it? You know, I said one semester. So they were like, you really should go finish that. It will help you in the future. And you said you need, I forget how many credits I needed, but you know, like this internship, we can get you eight credits. That's like half your semester right there. So yeah, so basically I went back to Boston to finish my final semester and DreamWorks, we kind of had a handshake deal that they would bring me back as a post PA. And uh, I ended up getting really ill my last month of that semester. I am. found out I had colitis, which is like a low-key version of Crohn's, sort of, for super layman term. So I had to delay my move back by three months. And in that time, they had to fill that handshake position because, you know, they can't, they need someone to do the job. They were kind enough that when I finally did get back to LA three months later than I anticipated, they didn't have any post roles, but they had an opening in IT and I know how to Google things. So <laughs> they they um they let me take this like minimum wage job in IT, basically uh, building all of the artists' workstations. Wow. Yeah, it's like, it was pretty much just, you know, all day long, just loading up all kinds of like whatever programs an artist might need. 
I did that for about a year and then just kind of like networked my ass off and talked to everyone I could and got lunches and made friends. And then, um, I got brought on after a year to this movie called the crudes. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with it. Yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. So I, um, I worked on the crudes technically cloth and hair was my department and they paid me, but it was very early in production at that time. And so it's not uncommon in studios like that to kind of like, you kind of like loan people out. Like you wear a lot of hats sometimes, but you're only contracted to one thing. So in the course of me working in cloth and hair on the crudes, I also ended up working in crowds on the crudes. I worked in the central office for Madagascar 2, 3, I mean, sorry. And then I worked in editorial for a bit for Guardians. And I also did some work for Kung Fu Panda 2, How to Train Your Dragon 2. Wow. But uh, yeah, but I'm only credited on the crudes because that's what my paycheck said. So Cool. So, okay. You have to explain cloth and hair. I'm guessing that's like the animation specialty of working with like minute details in the characters. Is that right? Yeah, it's pretty damn close. So I'm Lucasfilm Animation now and it's TV. And you're not going to find that in like a TV studio generally. But in features you do, right? Because you do these crazy high quality renders and whatnot, right? And pretty much like the eternal driving factor behind like animation R&D is you know, how do we get things to be more photoreal? And eyes, cloth, and hair are the three things that always kind of hit some level of uncanny valley, right? Oh. Yeah, so you literally have an entire department for cloth and hair. Like, the big breakthrough that we had on crudes, tech-wise, was that we we got so sophisticated in our rendering mm-hmm. that we were able to get an LOD, which is, which is like, a, I want to say line of depth or something like that. But basically, it's how many times you can zoom in on an asset and maintain, like, visual fidelity. It's oh. like, so it's basically how deep you can go without blurring. And we something like tripled our LOD from our last movie onto the cloth and hair on the crudes. So it's, wow. so that, yeah. So it's like literally you have like a whole team of people like working at like a 200 X zoom, separating fibers in rug, Nicholas Cage, the main character, like in his tunic or whatever you want to call it, you know? Oh, so it's extremely detailed. That's amazing. Yeah. Surfacing is its own department, which is like they paint all the models and stuff, but for the cloth and hair specifically, you know, it's like if you watch someone doing a crazy detailed oil painting where they're like eye up on the canvas, like putting in the hairs on someone's head pretty much. Wow. So with a movie, an animated movie specifically, and being within that department, what does an editor do? So like a live action editor is it's linear right? Like the footage gets shot, the footage gets brought to you and the footage leaves you. And an animation editor, it's more like the, like the hubcap in a wheel with all the spokes radiating out from it. So, you know, your, your storyboard artists will bring in storyboards and in the past, you know, those would be still images. You double up frames. So 12 still images for one second for one twenty-four frame second. And so as the editor, you would be stringing all of these boards together to create the illusion of rough action, right? You use what's called key poses. So if, if say, Grug in the crudes, if his arm is raised above his head and then, you know, you hold that for two to five, six frames, and then your next drawing, say Grug's arm is now out horizontally from his shoulder, right? 
you don't need to show all that in between movement. If you just cut these two still images together, when the arm goes down, your eye will fill in those missing frames for you to a degree. You know, it's gonna look, it's not gonna look sophisticated or or smooth, but like your eye gets it. It's mm -hmm. like the same, it's the same way you can look at like the first and last letter of a word and usually fill the word in. And so, yeah, you string these whole storyboard rough cuts together like that. And then it leaves editorial, goes to layout, and then layout is taking these storyboards now and in reinterpreting them into a 3D space using very low res assets to, you know, make sure everything works, right? Mm -hmm. That comes back to editorial, gets cut in, and then, you know, editorial strings that all together. And it's like, is this working? And, you know, this is a whole back and forth process for, you know, a scene will take months you know, on a feature. Uh, television show, it's, this process is about six to nine weeks per episode and then once this is all good you know you hit what would be like a considered a picture lock at some stages maybe a rough lock but you know you're saying for all intents and purposes until a problem arises this picture is now done and then that goes out to your character animators and so now they do character animation uh which is still going to be lower res assets but you know once that happens it comes back to editorial again and again, it's like a, it's like a fact check, you know, there's creative work that still goes in, but it's mostly saying, did this turn out the way that we envisioned it in the last stage? Is it working still? If yes, it now goes out to all of your special effects artists, your lighting artists, your cloth and hair artists, and then they put all that final sweetening on from the character animation stage to like the final shot stage. It's actually visually, if you're not used to looking at it, that's probably the biggest jump that you'll see. Cause character animation, it's all the movements, it's all the lip sync, it's the eye darts, every, all that. But it isn't done in the highest res stage. Like, right, like you, you do things at the lowest resolution that you can possibly get away with until you need to up res it just because renders take so long, storage space is limited. But so what you, the jump to from animation to final effects is like to like a layman is like massive. Wow, I I know I always just assumed that an editor is the person that kind of comes in at the end and then kind of puts all the pieces together. But I mean, it sounds like from the very very beginning, editors are involved in the entire process to sort of move everything along to make sure that it's working. In animation specifically, yeah, cool. like like your description of it would be a live action scenario. Oh. Oh, interesting specifically a live action scenario that does not have heavy vfx because once you get into like a marvel movie with all those vfx it's practically an animation anyways hmm. i was wondering is like are there any big differences between editing for like live action versus like an animated movie but yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah the way i've described it is like you know live action editing it's almost more like sculpting right like you get you get this big brick of marble and it's like th this is what you have to work with obviously sometimes maybe you go do a reshoot or something if something's egregious but the, the idea from the people that hold the purse strings is that these are your materials make something whereas animation editing it's a little bit more like painting right you've got a blank canvas so you can look at this blank canvas and say what do i need because again our artists are are here they're in house so it's like if i'm looking at an animated scene and like we need this character to to even though this character is giving a speech character b we need a reaction shot from character b because even though this guy's the one talking her interior thoughts are what's important right now 
And in animation, you just call up an artist or you call the director who will then go to the artist and, you know, hey, we need this reaction. All right, cool. You know, who's who's free? Uh, you know, Stu, do you got any bandwidth today? We need this reaction. Uh, whereas in, in live action, right, it's like, well, we don't we don't have it. We don't have it. What do we do? Uh, so, you know, maybe now we shift the whole scene in live action, right? We don't have her reaction, so we can't now show that this is about her. So I guess it's not about her anymore. It's about him, and we're going to hang on him the whole time. Or maybe there's a third person in the room that we get a reaction from. So oh, now it's going to be a little bit about that. Like, but it's, you're, you're, you're working with what you're given in live action, whereas in animation, it's uh, you can be a little bit more in your head. Oh, I just assumed that it was like the complete opposite, that it'd be like way easier to work with live action versus animation because it would take longer. But yeah, especially with highly paid actors and stuff, like if they miss something, you're not going to pay thousands of dollars to fly them back in and reshoot something. Yeah, you're you're not flying, you know, Tom Cruise out to, to get a wink or something like yeah. that. <laughs> and, and also, too, I, I, I should kind of specify as well when I'm talking about this in animation, I'm talking about mainly like CG, either feature animation or like, for example, like the show that I just did, Clone Wars, that I just finished, that's like pretty high quality CG as well. And we almost, we use closer to a feature pipeline or a VFX pipeline than we do to a traditional animation pipeline. Because like, like traditional, more 2D, like what you would think of like a Nickelodeon show or something like that, that's a little more linear. Every case, you know, changes show to show. Every show is run by a different person, but as a broad generalization, 2D animation editors are a little bit more... Um, kind of hands on the keyboard like uh those get figured out more by the storyboard artists and the director than the editor cool so you went from working at dreamworks to eventually transitioning to lucasfilm animation can you tell me about what that transition was like how that came about that transition was terrifying <laughs> <laughs> so i i was a uh I was a PA in some places and a coordinator in other places at, at DreamWorks at the time. And I got laid off because uh, the movie The Crudes uh, was delayed for a year. There were some writing problems. Like for example, when The Crudes finally came out a couple years later, I was long gone. And the only thing I recognized was the first act like in the desert. Whoa. Uh, everything else was like brand new to me. And there was a full movie when I left. Oh God. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but that, that first act is like almost shot for shot the same. But um, so I got laid off because with the delay, every department past X point in production uh, had to go on hiatus because, you know, there wasn't work to do. Mm -hmm. And so they told me it was going to be a six month layoff and that they were going to bring me back on for How to Train Your Dragon 2. And so in those six months with uh, some of my film school buddies, uh, we had been prior to that raising money and we ended up shooting this little indie feature out in Rhode Island that uh, I edited and did pretty well. Uh, Netflix bought it. It was on Netflix for a while. Uh, we premiered at South by Southwest. Yeah, we got like, you know, we got write-ups in like Variety, um, you know, we played like Fantasia Festival, like a lot of press actually. It was really cool and unexpected. So kind of was doing that. And then I had a friend, <laughs> this is a trend in my life, right? Just weaseling my way in through friends. Uh, I had a friend working at Lucasfilm Animation, which I didn't realize was even a thing. I just knew she was at Lucasfilm. And so to like celebrate kind of finishing this indie film, I wanted to take a little, little vacation up to San Francisco. I just had never been to the Bay. 
And I was like, oh, hey, I know you're at Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm is in the Bay. Um, is there any chance I could get like a tour or something? Like just take some pictures because Star Wars is dope. And she was like, um, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. What day, yada, yada. I'll put you in touch with someone. Cool, thank you. So I'm sitting in my house in LA and uh, I get a phone call like the next day probably. You know, mind you, I'm unemployed. So uh, it's like Tuesday and I'm sitting in my front yard drinking a beer at like 11.30 in the morning. And um, phone rings. Hey, is this Nate? Yep. Hi, who's this? It's Kim Diaz. Uh, hi, I don't know Kim Diaz. Um, oh, sorry, sorry. I'm a recruiter uh, with Lucasfilm um, up at Skywalker Ranch. Whoa. Yeah. And I was like, no shit? And she was like, <laughs> she's like, yeah. I was like, so why are you calling me? She was like, oh, I was just talking to, I was talking to Liz and she mentioned that you wanted a tour. And um, we're actually looking for an assistant editor for the Clone Wars right now. And we, uh, she tells me that you're an editor. And I was like, yeah, actually, I just finished this indie film. That's why I wanted to come up. And uh, I sent a little clip. And they're like, oh, cool, cool. And uh, so um, do you want to interview for this position? And I was like, seriously? Yeah, okay. Uh, so she's like, so we're going to cancel your tour, and we're going to rent you a car, and you're going to drive up to the ranch. Because uh, Skywalker, yeah, Skywalker Ranch is about 45 minutes, yeah. 35 minutes uh north of san francisco it's not in the city so to to go on a tangent right uh george built it in the early 80s uh with the money that he made off of new hope because you know your little star wars history here is uh george um you know he famously got in a big spat with the director's guild uh and they boycotted new hope originally and fox also wasn't very impressed with it because at the time you contractually had to put credits at the front of the movie with like your principals like your actors directors producers and george didn't want to do that because he thought it would ruin the immersion and the the guilds and the unions only have jurisdiction in la currently and so he kind of rage quit la came up to san francisco built skywalker ranch and that is where he did uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, and he edited the prequels there. Um, Endor, the forest with the Ewoks and Return of the Jedi is actually the woods around Skywalker Ranch. Whoa. Yeah, so it's kind of like this famous nerd sci-fi lore location, which I was very familiar with because I am a sci-fi nerd. <laughs> so returning to the... She was like, uh, yeah, well, we're going to rent you a car, so instead of touring the facilities in the city, which is our main office we're going to drive you up to skywalker ranch and you're going to meet the team and i was you know seriously uh, okay and i literally the next day uh flew to san francisco got in my rental car i drove up to skywalker ranch and um interviewed with the head editor and then the line producer and the producer of the clone wars and ultimately ended up getting the job which i was shocked at i'd never been an assistant in fact, I remember uh, later, you know, probably years later, the producer was actually telling me what had impressed her was when they were looking at my resume and they're like, so we see that you've like cut this indie and we see that you've cut a lot of all these shorts, like, you know, either in college or like side gigs and all that. And you were a PA at DreamWorks, but you've never been an assistant editor. Like, why can you do this job? And I, I just told him, I was like, well, I don't know how to do the job yet 
but I've been an editor, uh, you know, on smaller projects. So I do know what the editor needs and what the editor is hopefully looking for. So I feel like since I know where the finish line is, all I got to do is get there. And I'm pretty confident I can do that. And I don't make the same mistake twice. So, and then I, um, I started a couple of weeks later. They, uh, they actually asked if I, this was like on a Thursday, I want to say, a Wednesday. They asked, they asked if I could start that Monday. And I was like, uh, actually, I'm flying to Panama on Saturday uh, for my friend's wedding. Uh, and I won't be back for three weeks. Oh, no. Like, yeah. And they're like, well, can you cut your trip short? And I was like, it's non-refundable. And I don't have a lot of money right now. I kind of spent most of it on this trip. And they're like, all right, all right, all right. Uh, when do you come back? And I gave them all my flight info. And they actually ended up, uh, I negotiated my contract from a beach in Panama. And then they actually called, they, they called me as I was coming through customs. I came back on a Friday and they were like, so you can start Monday. And I was like, I guess I can. So wow. came, came back from three weeks in Panama, went through customs, drove to my apartment. Uh, I put like, I put my, my hamsters, my guitar, my computer and like a suitcase in my Jeep and just drove to San Francisco and left the rest. Oh my god, so you hadn't even moved yet. No, no, yeah. I, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> actually, sorry, uh, another aside, I guess. Sure. I had, through a screaming, screaming real estate deal, aka I was living in basically a condemned building, I uh, I had just bought a house in Los Angeles like five months prior. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it was, like, I mean, it was like falling down. Like my whole plan was to kind of slowly tinker around it and get it all working. And yeah, I was like literally living in a construction zone basically when this happened. So yeah, I I, um, I basically moved up to San Francisco and my parents gave me a little loan to pay some contractors to finish the house because it was really tiny. It was like 600 square feet, you know? So it's like they they were kind enough. They gave me a loan and then um, I moved two of my college buddies into it and they became my tenants. But yeah, so it was like, just, just a, it was a big, big cluster. <laughs> wow. So when you started what was it like what's it like being an assistant editor to go back to what i said earlier it was absolutely terrifying <laughs> um, i mean i mean i i honestly i i had never done the job and, and actually one of the big failings with film schools in general right is they want people to want to go there and so obviously they need to cater to interests and ego so you know film school everything they teach you is about the big things right they teach you maybe how to edit Maybe they try to teach you how to direct, try to teach you how to produce, try to teach you how to write, but they don't teach you any of the shit that you're going to have to do for, you know, 10 to 20 years before you reach the role of editor or reach the role of director, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, they, they just go right to the top. Uh, they, they really don't prepare you very well, but the networking is invaluable. Every job I've had has been through those connections, but um, yeah, so uh, it was just terrifying because I really had no idea what the hell I was doing. Like... You know, I knew that my editor needed the shots from me and I knew that he needed like support from me, but I had no clue what he needed. So first, probably three-ish months, uh, I barely went to my apartment. I was working till like pretty much like I would like stumble around all day and like hang on by the skin of my teeth. I still, this day, I don't make the same mistakes multiple times in a row often. So I basically, you know, I told the editor this too. I was like, you know, I'm going to mess a lot up in the beginning. Just, I'm going to ask a lot of questions. They might sound stupid to you. They're not to me. <laughs> please, be please bear with me. This will bear fruit. And um, so that is, yeah, running around the, the office with a notebook and taking notes on everything, asking 
really annoying clarifying questions 10 times over and just trying to learn the whole gig. And then whenever everyone else would leave for the night, I'd usually spend another few hours at the office and just try to learn more tricks on the Avid or I would like dupe out my editor's reels in... I would like re-edit some of his own scenes on my own or like I would try to maybe start a fresh reel and then put together a scene that was as close to the editor's scene as I could get it on my own and just tried to build up my agility with the program, my understanding of like the thought process of what my directors and my editor were, were doing to get these reels on the show that I liked and was already watching before they hired me, which was also made it more terrifying. <laughs> You know, like, I'm like, I love this show. What if I'm the one that screws it up? I put in a lot of extra hours in those first few months. And it, it was just doing that until I, I, I felt comfortable, you know? Wow. So you mentioned that each episode is like six to nine weeks, right? Yes, in the story stage. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, an episode takes about 10 months to make. Oh, uh, my God. Really? Jeez. Yeah, with everything. It's like six to nine weeks on my desk oh. the first time. Okay, yeah. Yeah, basically, you know, it, it goes through the writing stages and then it, the character design comes up and then character and environment design, asset design, and then those assets get built in a 3D space. And then those 3D assets get given to our story artists. And then once they're at a stage that the director is comfortable with, then those get sent over to my computer. And that's when the editorial phase begins. And at that point, this is probably already two months to three months into production. And then that's when it hits editorial. And then it's like very intensely with me for that six to nine weeks I mentioned. And then it goes out to layout. And then it's in layout for a couple of weeks, comes back. And right now I have my assistants doing my layout cuts because uh, it's like good training for them. And, you know, we want to raise everyone up around us. So then the assistants work with the layout for a couple of weeks. And then when that gets blessed by the director, then that goes to animation. It's an animation for a couple months. And we have an associate editor who's so basically the hierarchy would go like PA coordinator, second assist, first assist, associate editor, lead editor. So I have associate editor who then conforms all of the animation, like shot by shot to the layout to make sure all the links are correct and everything flows. And then once that gets okayed by the director, it then goes to the lighting stage, which again takes a few months. Associate editor conforms it all again. And then at that stage, we do wall to wall, like rough temporary uh, sound design and music. And in the story stage, I do that with my assists and then the associate once all the finals are in, he does another pass at that to make it sound even better. And he does like a tightening cut, like a fine cut, basically. And then that goes into a stage called Full Color, which is where most of the crew sits down and watches the episode together. It's basically the last chance for notes, right? A 22-minute episode at the Full Color stage, we might end up changing as needed two to five minutes of footage. And so then that takes another month or so. And then at that point is the picture lock. And then at that point, that is when it leaves our studio and then it goes to Sky Sound for sound. You know, it goes to the colorist for coloring. And then it goes into post-production for all your conforms and all your network checks. But that whole process is like a 10-ish month process. Sorry if that was like a massive info dump. No, it's okay. It, it helps a lot. You clarified really, really well. So thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I took my opportunity and ran with it. But yeah. <laughs> 
and actually to tie it in a little bit earlier too, I didn't know a thing about any of this stuff when they hired me as an assistant. This was all stuff I had to figure out on the job. It was very daunting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it for sure. The first year of starting any new position, it's an upward crawl. It's awful. Yeah, exactly. There's just so much to learn anywhere. And especially, you know, in an industry like like mine, where it's so highly competitive and it's like an attractive looking industry to a lot of people, right? Yeah. So, so there's just a lot of competition. So it's like you get hired on something like Star Wars, right? It doesn't matter if you're ready for it or not. You take that job. You don't turn down Star Wars. But then you're sitting in this office at you know, 10 p.m. at night, realizing how much you don't know. And you're like, if I screw this up, I'm never going to have this opportunity again. It's just it's like another layer of pressure. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember what it felt like to see the first episode that you'd ever worked on published and out for the world to see? Oh, I cried. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, not even, I'm not even kidding you. Uh, That's I, awesome. I, I teared up and like, yeah, like my, my, my parents were like sending me screenshots of like my name in the credits oh and stuff. God. And like, like my whole family back in Boston all got together and like partied to watch it and all that. It, 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 it was, it was pretty cool. Cool. Did you at that episode, did you work on like a two minute section or something that you could point out specifically and be like, I did that. I worked on that scene. Oh, not even, not even. <laughs> You know, in the beginning as an assistant, pretty much it was just the equivalent of errands, but in a digital world, right? Like I'm not getting the editor coffee and stuff, but it's like, say a hundred shots came in, but something happened with the script that the program uses to spit them all out and they got they got named improperly mm -hmm. i you know i go through i just rename all these hundred shots to the right names or something or like all this stuff comes in and i take the script and i'm cross-checking the script for him it's the busy work so yeah. so that all the editor should be focusing on is creatively functionally and getting this episode together still even all the background work is getting that episode out there for the world to see so you definitely had all the credit in that as well that's awesome i mean it is true though it's like i've had amazing assistance from under myself over the years and i've had poor assistance over the years and it's it's unbelievable the difference a good assistant can make in your life i've actually talked to my old college uh, i've gone back and done a couple like little seminars and talks and stuff for them mm -hmm. and uh, i've talked to the old head of the post department there We've even talked about like trying to get some type of assistant classes into curriculums and stuff because it is, it is so vital. It is, it's crazy. Cool. So what was it like then going from an assistant position to eventually being the editor? Terrifying all over again. <laughs> <laughs> so basically story time again. Um, yeah. So I've been with the company now for like nine and a half years, by the way, but um, it was a lot of lucky, lucky unlucky for other people, lucky for me, kind of just falling up the ball and me not missing the shot. Disney bought us in 2013, right? I think we found out around April. And um, we basically pink slipped the vast majority of our studio. If I had to guess, I'd say we were roughly 120 employees in animation. We probably pink slipped 85 to 90 of them. Whoa. Yeah, so they, they kept all of the lead artists and then got rid of pretty much everyone below them. And then production side, they pretty much cut off the head and legs. So like production side, they kept the top creatives, but wiped out their whole teams. Dang. And then on the production side, they got rid of the highest paid people and the lowest paid people and kind of kept, they basically kept the people that had enough knowledge to get stuff done, 
but maybe weren't going to be the most demanding in terms of like compensation and everything. Uh, yeah, it's total cleaning out of the house. And, um, I was supposed to be cleaned out myself because I was bottom at the time. And, uh, basically what happened was my editor at the time actually fought for me to not get fired. So our, our department was, I want to say eight people at the time, and they were only keeping two. They were going to keep the head editor and they were going to keep one assist. They were canceling the Clone Wars, but they were allowing us to finish X amount of episodes that were past a certain stage in production. So he needed the assist. They wanted to keep lead editor and the lead assist. But the lead assist, he was like six years older than me. He'd been in the industry for a long time. And he was, he's like a rock star. His name's Kevin Sturmer. He taught me so much, but he kind of was in a better position than me. Like he had, he knew a lot more people. He had worked in LA as an assist for like eight years, whereas I had just been a PA. So he's like, Kevin can have a job yesterday. Like Nate will have a lot harder of a time. And he uprooted his whole life to get here. So Jason Tucker, the head editor, he really stuck his neck out for me to stay basically just because I would have been a lot worse off than Kevin. And we got along really well too. So it's really all because of Tucker that I even have a freaking career. But uh, he's also the editor that hired me. He's the editor that liked me and hired me. So they kept me instead of Kevin. And then Tucker, he has a chronic illness and it took a turn for the worse. So he had to go on a disability leave like a month and a half, two months later. So now all of a sudden, in the course of six weeks, I've gone from being the new guy in the office, because I'd only been there for like 18 months at that point, right? Mm -hmm. So I went, I went from being the most junior member in editorial, to then being fired, to then being one of only two people kept, to now being the entire department. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was really scary. Yeah. So um, if, if you go on Netflix or Actually, no, I guess it's on Disney Plus now, huh? And I pulled it off Netflix. But anyways, if you go if you go to the Clone Wars, it was season six. They called it The Lost Missions. And uh, it was like a Netflix-only release. And I think it was maybe 12 episodes, 13, something like that. But those were the episodes that they allowed us to finish after Disney canceled the show. So it's like a half season, kind of. So pretty much, let's just call it 12. I don't. I think it was a little more. But if it was 12 episodes, about eight of those episodes were finished by me alone oh my gosh <laughs> yeah i was there i was texting and calling a lot of people <laughs> just like i like tucker i'm sorry i know you're sick and not feeling well but like how do i do this like oh my god you know it's like they told me that i need to prep this for the animation department i've never done that uh that was kevin's job uh <laughs> it uh, you know like what do i do how how does it work uh it's just a lot of stumbling in the dark and um you know, I, I did it. <laughs> wow. And then six or so months later, we started the show Star Wars Rebels. And they bumped me up to officially the head assistant on that for the work I did on the end of Clone Wars. And then originally they had actually, there was talk about making me editor on that because you usually have multiple editors on a show. But then there was a lot of pushback. And I don't, I do not blame them either because, you know, at the time, right, Rebels is going to be the first Disney produced Star Wars show and on top of that, too, I can only say so much on all this because this is behind closed doors yeah, things. Of but you, you know, like Disney has their own animation studio, right? So this was almost like our own audition to not have 
all of animation go to Disney itself, right? Oh, I see. You don't want a new guy in that role. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't blame him. So we brought in two other editors that we had worked with on other Lucasfilm things. And so I was their head assistant. So I got Star Wars Rebels running off the ground with them, which was my first show ever from complete scratch. Because I entered Clone Wars in the third season and even Croods. I came onto Croods like six months into production. So this is the first time I'd ever done anything from the ground up. So we did all that. Uh, we got all that working and we eventually fleshed out the department again to the point where we were six people again, brought on more assists and PAs. And then the second season of Rebels, Dave Filoni, the supervising director of everything of Clone Wars 2, he was like George's protege. We didn't have an associate editor the first season of Rebels, which is the position I mentioned to you earlier that they do like the final picture pass on things and they're the ones that will maybe do like four to five minutes of footage in an episode like at the end like if you got to delete a scene and put a new scene in and so they reintroduced the associate editor role on season two uh specifically to give it to me they basically like made the position for me because dave wanted me to be creatively cutting with him because he had liked working with me on the end of clone wars Basically, yeah, it was like one of those, you know, no pressure scenarios where, but we're making, we're making an entire position for you. Oh, so God. you can, you're not ready to be an editor quite yet. And also we're not going to fire these other two guys because they're good, but we want you to step up. <laughs> and so that was terrifying. You know, me being an East Coaster and Dave is from uh, Pittsburgh. We're both a little more direct than some Californians might be. So he liked working with me because we just kind of spoke straight to each other. But my first couple episodes of Rebels as the associate, you know, I, I got a little shy. And uh, it was like this new role. So Dave would be like, what should we do here? I'm like, I don't know, man, you're the boss. <laughs> And he, he literally had to pull me aside a couple months in. He was like, look, man, I promoted you because I like your ideas, right? I promoted you so you can implement your ideas. He's like, I'm the boss, right? He's like, but you do you. You do whatever you feel that you want to do to these episodes. And you just go until I tell you that you fucked it up. No. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, are you sure? And, and he was like, yeah, man. And so then like the next episode, it's like you could see my little legs wiggling, sticking out of the toy, toy box, with, like all the toys flying over my shoulders. But yeah, eventually we dialed it in and we found the good middle ground. But yeah, he, I needed that little pep talk. And then ultimately I, I did a good enough job on that. Um, I actually ended up as the associate. I did a couple scenes in Rebels that are pretty much like you, this is weird to say sorry but they're like universally kind of considered like some of the more iconic scenes in the show yeah uh like ahsoka tano versus darth vader you know ahsoka was the main character in the clone wars and she spoiler she comes back in rebels and uh you know she has a showdown with darth vader and who was her old master right she was anakin's padawan and um that that was one of those scenes no shade to the other editors they did a great job but once it hit that full color stage i've mentioned you know we just realized that the scene as written just wasn't quite landing now when we could see it all together on the screen. And so we kind of rewrote that scene. It was originally more of like almost like a samurai, like a quick draw, like they see each other and just fight. We made it way more emotional and, and the fans like loved it. It's like still, it's like on, it's like on all like the top best of lists and all that stuff. Wow. I had a couple scenes like that in Rebels that, you know, we got really good feedback on and me and Dave worked really well together. So then when Disney, at the end of Rebels, greenlit the return of the Clone Wars to do the series finale, which got a ton of press, that's when Dave promoted me to full editor. 
and I was mentioned is usually two editors on shows, but I was actually the sole editor on the entire finale of Clone Wars. Wow. Which was, again, more pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Up to this point, my, my career has just been marked by about, you know, every two-ish years, a massive panic attack. <laughs> wow. Okay. So going forward with the whole career that you've experienced so far behind you, what are your goals moving forward? It's, it's funny because um, I was having... <laughs> A similar conversation with my mom recently. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, well, basically, you know, I've been with this company now for for, for nine and a half years, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I actually originally when I showed up at Lucasfilm, they had me on a six month contract, and I figured I was just going to work for six months and go back to LA. And here I am, nine and a half years later, and you know, I also thought becoming an editor. Most people, if you're lucky and if you move up the ranks really fast you might become an editor like in your like mid thirties or something like that at this level of show. If you get into a smaller studio, you know, anything goes, but for these big kind of established like old boys clubs for lack of a better term, you know, it takes a while, right? It takes a while. Um, And, you know, I thought if I was lucky, I would be an editor by like 40 and I, I made editor at 29 because of all those kind of, happy accidents for me you know with with one with one guy getting sick and then all these layoffs happening and then me making a good impression on the director and then you know and then the show that happened to come up when I was maybe functionally ready to be an editor happens to be the finale of a show that I had already worked on and I'm the only guy that's still at the studio so I'm the, I'm the pick right it's just, it was just a lot of like like Tetris pieces fitting together yeah but so, so me and my mom are talking and it's like you know I kind of climbed a little too fast. I was like, what now? <laughs> well, am I just doing this now? Like, what am I, what am I doing? And um, basically, I would, I would honestly say, like, at this point, I, I want to actually start now picking projects, like, if I can. Ooh. Yeah, like, I'm, I don't have enough of an ego to think that people are necessarily going to be calling me, but, like, I've made so many connections over the years, and so many of my classmates are doing stuff now, you know? It's like, I do love Star Wars, but I've been on it for nine and a half years, and there's a bit of a burnout, and none of this is a secret. My bosses know this, too. It's like, I'm, I'm kind of, like, at the point where, like, once a project starts up that I'm not excited about, I'm probably going to leave. I've never, as an editor now, or even just as a professional at any capacity, ever like chosen my own job i've always taken opportunities that were presented to me and in the star wars case it happens to be really cool but you know it's i didn't have other options yeah and and so yeah i would kind of like to maybe like control my own narrative a little bit more wow that is so exciting though i mean i know it's probably like a big unknown but it's really cool to look into your future and, and see something like hey maybe i could do that pretty soon that's awesome thank you yeah so I do like to ask the same couple questions at the end of every podcast, but the first one is, if you didn't have to worry about going back to school or money or anything else, what other profession besides your current one would you like to try? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Could I get paid for, you know, through hiking the Appalachian Trail? <laughs> Ooh, yeah, maybe if you vlogged it nowadays, I think that's probably actually a possibility. <laughs> Because, yeah, because like I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm a really big outdoors guy. Like I love like hiking, through hiking, mountain biking, road biking, skiing. Yeah, you know, like that's like I spend as much time as I humanly can. So yeah, if I could monetize that, <laughs> that would be my dream. What about you? What would your, what would your dream? Oh dream? God, 
Um, in another life, I honestly think I would love to do the sound uh, for like film and background noises, like weird oh, cool. things that they put in here and there. I think that would be really awesome. But that's rad. Yep. <laughs> It's fun, too. I actually have a few sound editor credits on IMDb. Ah, cool. Um, Jealous. I've, I've done a lot of work with uh, Sky Sound, Skywalker Sound. Um, yeah, like I've spent a lot of time up in their offices, like in their Foley pits and stuff, watching them do footsteps, cool. footsteps and all that. It's, it's a, it's a, that's a good one. That's a, one of the funner parts of, of film to me. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the last question is, do you have any advice on how to turn your passions into a career? Yeah, I do. I'd say, you know, although it's kind of funny because my career, it was kind of a career first and then it became a passion almost. The biggest thing about it is, is you know, you got to be realistic, right? Like you have to understand that if I'm hiring someone, right, if you've never worked in a studio, you're going to start at the bottom and got to put in the sweat and the hours. Like that's just how it goes. Mm-hmm. Like some people will get lucky like me and the cards may fall well and, you know, things may be fast-tracked a little bit, but, like, also, like, if I hadn't been willing to put in the work and willing to put in the hours and, like, and willing to be realistic about my shortcomings and strengths, then even when I got those opportunities, I probably would have fumbled it, you know? Yeah. You just need to be able to honestly assess yourself and your path and and what you're doing. And the other thing, too, is to you just kind of focus and practice, you know? No one just kind of pulls a rabbit out of a hat or whatever. Some people maybe do things that they make look easy. They've practiced a lot to get there. Yeah, absolutely. That's really great advice. Well, Nate, this was such a fun conversation. It was so cool to learn about you and what you do. And thank you so much for just taking the time and and coming on and talking with me today. Thanks for inviting me. This was really neat. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Nate, links are in the description down below. If you like the show, please leave a rating, subscribe, follow, and comment on whatever platform you listen on. It really helps out the show. For more information, you can find us on Instagram at The More Creative or on YouTube at The More Creative Podcast. Again, thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next time.